Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what? What are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to the Conversations That Cool with Dermot Brereton. Do you have a mate that doesn't seem great? Maybe their team is up, but they're still down. A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You Okay? And indeed, welcome to the conversations that could for Are You OK? Brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. Tonight, we have a wonderful guest uh, who has had a hugely successful career in rugby league spanning some 15 years, in which time he's played more than 300 games, 337 to be precise, for the Brisbane Broncos, St George Illawarra and the Newcastle Knights before retiring last year in 2020. He's got a couple of premiership medallions to his name and he's represented Queensland an unbelievable 28 times in state of origin. He's described his life as a roller coaster ride. Some of us can uh, sympathise with that. And he's going to share some of those ups and downs with us tonight. This bloke is sincerely a brilliant, brilliant ambassador and a wonderful, wonderful former player. It's my pleasure to welcome Darius Boyd to the conversations that could. Darius, good evening, mate. Thanks for the very warm welcome and introductions. Very nice. <laughs> well, it's long, mate. You've done a fair bit. Yeah, I've been very lucky in my career. Very thankful and grateful that you know, a kid with a dream wanted to play one game for the Broncos could you know eventually play so many games and achieve so many things. So, um, yeah, I look back on my career with a lot of fond memories. We look at people who are elite sportsmen like yourself, and yet the absolute first first step in the career. You kind of missed out as a teenager for one year. You had to bide your time. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's just something for me that I was probably a bit of a late bloomer. Um, so, you know, kids at 15, you know, getting scholarships and contracts to different, you know, uh, NRL clubs and organisations. And, yeah, like I said, I was a bit of a late bloomer and I really needed that extra 12 months to grow and, and into my body and, I suppose, uh, harden up a little bit and um, all the things you, I suppose, do as a teenager, I guess. And that last, you know, 12 months at school for me really uh, was a great stepping stone to, you know, uh, I suppose the world of rugby league and uh, onto the Broncos after that. Well, that that blooming must have been incredibly rapid once it started, because three years later you were playing for Australia. Yeah, it all happened really, really fast. I think that's something that um, I had to pinch myself a little bit, um, just you know, playing for the Broncos firstly, uh, with some of the you know, names that I was playing with and guys that I've watched on television and, and idolised as a, as a kid growing up. And um, you know, Queensland come around a couple of years later and an Australian team as well. So, yeah, I was very you know, lucky and, like I said, pinched myself a couple of times and um, it was just such a whirlwind of, uh, of experience. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions in, in, in a few moments' time and we'll get some some learnings from you, which we can all take away. But, uh, mate, I love talking to the elite sportsmen and I, I want to know about the journey first up uh, and you seem to have... Are you following or have you followed Wayne Bennett? Is that Did you follow him everywhere or did he ask you to follow him everywhere? Oh, I think it was 
a bit of both, to be honest. Um, long story short, the way it worked out is, you know, Brisbane was my first club and uh, I wanted to stay there for my whole career. I wasn't really sure that or how you know, the NRL worked and salary caps and, and, and whatnot. So I thought once you've got a contract, you kind of stay there. And if you want to stay, you stay. And it didn't work out that way. Brisbane kind of just said, look, you can stay for the uh, 2009 season. Uh, I had a contract for that season, um, but we won't re-sign you after that. So you might as well leave now in, in 2008. Uh, while you can, you're playing good football. I just played for, for Queensland at that time. And uh, it was a bit of a shock. Uh, I wasn't very happy. I, was, I think I was a bit emotional, but uh, it was a realisation that it's a business and at the end of the day, it's, it is what it is. And Wayne kind of just said then, he was already signed to go to the Dragons. He said, look, you can come with me. And ever since then, you know, I had a bit of trust issues growing up and a bit of you know, trouble with my family history, which we'll probably touch on a bit later. But uh, I really respected and admired Wayne for the, you know, his you know, um, care and trust that he put in me. Um, and when you know, not only the best... Uh, coach wants you, but more, more importantly, I think like a great mentor and a great person. You know, once you're a part of you know, what he's doing and what he uh, what he brings, and it was a pretty easy decision for me. And once Wayne, you know, showed me that um, guidance and I suppose that trust, then I didn't want to let him down. I was happy to you know, go over wherever he went. So you followed him to St George. You played 69 games there over three seasons. Then he. Oh, there's Wayne Bennett has been he's been doing the rounds, uh, so to speak. He then went to Newcastle. You followed him there for a short time as well 62 games and the Broncos back to the Broncos to up to get you up to 337 career games which is an extraordinary feat in such a a brutal brutal sport uh tell us about you mentioned just a second ago that that the Broncos said to you early days you were 21 and they said oh we're not going to sign you past 2008 why does they an organisation, a sporting organisation, have an elite talent on their hands who's 21, and they say we're not we're not signing you beyond this date. Yeah, I suppose at the end of the day, it's a salary cap issue, I think, and um, I think they had Israel Folau coming in at the time, and obviously a new coach coming in too. Um, so I think yeah, a number of reasons, I guess, is yeah, salary cap to fit everyone under. Um, I wasn't probably uh, with my own admissions is uh, the easiest person to get along with and um, out in the community and promotional work and different things. So that probably played a part of it as well. A bit of my um, youth and experience and and whatnot in my adult life, I guess. But, yeah, I think there's a lot of factors why you know, you know, clubs always have to let players go in all different sports when there's a salary cap involved. And in um, the end of the day, for me personally, I was disappointed to have leaves Brisbane. I never wanted to. But in saying that, I was grateful that I did because it gave me such a Good experience to you know grow away from family, you know, move outside of Queensland, any state I've ever been in, and experience a couple of different clubs and um, places that I'd never experienced before, and it was great for my growth. Now, uh, we've I've done all my reading up on you, and I've seen you play your career, but I like to learn from people directly. And one of my great mates, absolute great mates, is a bloke called Brett Finch, and he said to me, yeah. "Darius Boyd's a ripping bloke." You can be a bit prickly with the media, though. So where does that come from? Yeah, I think it was the early part of my childhood, to be honest. There's just a, always a pretty, you know, um, quiet, shy kind of person, especially a kid growing up. Um, you know, I had a few troubles in, in my early days in my family history with, you know, people not being around or, you know, um, family members passing away or, or whatnot. So I think I really found it hard to, to trust people. Um, and then you know, coming into rugby league at 18, 18 years of age and, I uh, went from this quiet, shy kid that, you know, didn't have a lot of friends, wasn't the most popular kid, to all of a sudden, you know, people want a piece of you and um, grabbing you left, right and centre and you're playing for the Broncos and it's a big deal and 
there's money and there's, there's media and there's you know, injuries and there's scrutiny. And there's so many different things that come along with it. And I was just too, you know, like I said before, young and inexperienced and really didn't have uh, the knowledge to understand and adapt and um, really uh, take that on board. And I didn't have a lot of people around me in my corner, uh, many father figures uh, to say, to suppose, kick you, you know, up the backside when you're doing the wrong thing or even just patting you back when you're doing really well too. So there's a lot of big learning lesson for me, uh, how the media works, what it, you know, what it does do for the game, how it grows the game and how important it is and the, the role it plays. Um, yeah, but for me personally, I just want to play footy and I didn't understand that side of it. I've got a feeling we're talking, going to talk a little bit about Wayne Bennett and the kicks up the backside in a second in, in a couple of minutes' time. But would you be comfortable sharing with us You've touched on it. You're growing up, your childhood, and you say the the leadership figures, and and you lacked trust. Is that something you've discovered since? Is it something you were aware of then? Would you be comfortable sharing that with us? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's something that um, I suppose as a young kid you don't really understand. I mean, I was just growing up, and uh, I never met my father growing up, so I never had a father. Um, so my mum looked after me and raised me. Uh, my uncle and grandfather passed away when I was eight and 11. Um, so it was really just my mum and my grandmother, uh, no siblings, no, no cousins or uncles or um, you know, aunties, all those type of things. So it was really, really small you know, network of, of family. And like I said, being a shy, you know, quiet, reserved kind of person as well. I think, you know, not having that father figure and uh, you know, my uncle, grandfather passing away. Um, my mum, when I was 15, um, was diagnosed with major depression, so she left home when I was 15. Uh, so I moved in with her family for 12 months, and then the following 12 months, uh, 18 months to finish school, I lived with my grandmother. So I think those you know occurrence of events, you know, not having these people around, leaving for different reasons, whether it was mental health or you know, um, you know cancer, there's a brain tumor. Um, there's a couple of things that they, all my family just seemed to leave for different reasons. And as a young kid, I think I've become you know quite angry, sour. Um, you know, sad probably a whole list of emotions just not being able to cope with not having these really core support people around me and and feeling like everyone that's i love is leaving or gone um so i really struggled to trust people uh it really took me a long time to let people in um and then my, i suppose my escape was rugby league or sports that was like one thing that i could go to my teammates and my friends and enjoy my company with them i enjoy playing sport being competitive working hard, um, training in the gym, all those types of things. So I think I got my life around the wrong way in the end. I really put rugby league and sport number one and family and friends number two. It's what I had to do when I was younger. Um, but I realised as I got older that, you know, that was probably a negative way to look at it and probably really uh, impacted my mental health going forward. Now that you're so balanced and you've got that beautifully balanced look outlook at life, have you had the opportunity to meet your father? And if if so, would you share with us what uh, the conversation that's been said, or is that too deep? No, I've never met my father. So I've had a couple of um, opportunities where people have reached out and said, uh, when it's kind of made public, that I didn't know my father. There's a couple of people that reached out um, you know, through social media with my wife and, and different ways. Um, but it yeah, had a couple of blood tests and, and different things, but it never worked out. So... Yeah, it's one of those things that you always know. You always like to know, um, I suppose, a bit about your background and your, your makeup and DNA, I guess, and, and where you're from and you know, what they look like and their lifestyle and all those different types of things. Um, and also, you know, I've got kids of my own now, so even just knowing a bit of family history and ancestors and all those types of things is good to, for them to know, I guess. Um, but yeah, something that I don't 
really think about too much. I haven't lost sleep over. I'm 34 now and um, I've done pretty well. I've done okay without a father this long. So uh, I really just put most of my work and effort into you know, my other support people. And that's the thing I think with you know support people that you might not have mum and dad and brothers and sisters and they might not be your, your, your real close network, but you can find others, you know, whether that's you know, sporting coaches, you know, teachers, role models, you know, guidance counsellors, coaches and uh, friends. There's so many other ways you can find support people and that's what I've been able to trying to do. Have you met many other young men who've actually literally stepped in your shoes after you who have had a similar path that you might have just given some counselling to? Yeah, I think in, in sports, I think you see that a lot. You know, there's a lot of the best sports people seem to come from, you know, broken or a bit dysfunctional type families. I think they've... Um, on one way, it's you know it's hardship that you've gone through and a bit of adversity, but on the other hand, it, it gives some people that drive to really excel at something and a passion. And you, know, you see in rugby league in particular, there's a lot of guys that I've you know come across over the years that have had similar and even harder you know, upbringings than myself. And um, yeah, if there's anyone that I've found the Broncos in particular, um, it's a young group at the moment that um, I can lend a hand or see a bit of my younger self in, in them, then you know give a bit of words of wisdom or advice if they're willing and wanted to want to take it. Um, but anyway, they just the best way you can, you know, be there for someone just support them. You know, know that they that you care and know that um, you're happy to have a conversation and reach out whenever. And if they want to take you up on that conversation, they will. Oh, that's fantastic! Can, can I ask you in those in those younger years when you were striving to be the the complete player that you were? Uh, did you train angry? Did you play angry? Was that did that exude itself in the way? Did it manifest itself in you as the footballer? Yeah, definitely. I think especially game day, I definitely used to go out there with a chip on my shoulder. Uh, I used to write some words on my wrist that I won't repeat, um, but they weren't, yeah, the nicest things. It's kind of my time to just let some anger out and, and vent and frustration. And um, I wasn't a, um, a malicious player. I never got, you know, uh, in trouble by the judiciary. I never, you know, missed any weeks, anything like that. But it was kind of my way of just, you know, pumping myself up and motivating myself. Um but I definitely realised, you know, once I sought some help and worked on my mental health that um, in my later years, in the back end of my career, I was really able to just enjoy the moment, still pump yourself up and be motivated, but, you know, enjoy it for what it was and the people in the stands and your family and the, and the crowd support rather than, um, you know, some angry words trying to you know, pump yourself up for, a, for for battle, I guess. I'm Dermot Brereton and our guest is Darius Boyd and this is The Conversations That Could, brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. When your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back to the conversations that could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? I'm Dermot Brereton, and our guest tonight is former NRL champ and star Darius Boyd. And this is the conversations that could for Are You OK? Brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You OK? Our guest tonight is Darius Boyd. Now, the Clive Churchill medal, which is for the best player on the field, on the ground, on grand final day, you've done that. Is that the pinnacle? Oh, it's it's always nice to say it when you're especially when you're retired and got the you know the medal in your in your closet there and that. But for me, I don't know. Yeah, winning grand finals is definitely up there. That's you know it's so hard to do. Um, I played for 15 years and I won't say I only won two, but 
very lucky to win two, but two out of 15 is not a lot when you look at it uh, percentage-wise. So it's very, very hard to do. And you know, to spend you know, 11 months of the year with a group of men um, and to have one common goal and finally get there on, on grand final day and win it and win it all, I think that's you know, one of the highlights for me. And um, you know, playing for, you know, representing your, your state and your country in rugby league as well. And uh, and finally, captaining the Broncos for me too. I think you know, from the kid that I started to then I finished as, I think um, you yeah, know, very, very proud of those achievements. I'm going through the accolades and and give it. I, as I said earlier, I love rugby league and watching. It's a fantastic game. Uh, but try to equate it to Australian rules football. That's that's the equivalent of our Norm Smith medal. There, there is no higher thing you can do. Oh, the, you got the Brownlow medal, but the biggest day for us is grand final day. And to win the Norm Smith medal means you are the best player on the most important day. You guys are still flexing, whether it's grand final day or state of origin, aren't you? you is, there's a toss-up for you blokes. Which is heralded uh, and which is the most – which is the pinnacle? And, and even in state of origin, 28 times. I think you're the second highest score trier of all time. Some Is that right? Yeah, second highest try scorer. Yeah, Jack, Greg Inglis is the highest. Um, had a really great combination there. But uh, back to your question about, I suppose, the pinnacle. I mean, for me, the origin's amazing. The way the media does build it up, and you know, the, the way that you know, I suppose all of Australia really stops to watch State of Origin. Even yeah. if you're, you know, an Aussie rules guy or yeah, we a do. sports guy, um, you just you, everyone watches State of Origin. It's just something that you watch. The way it's been, you know. Um, build up in the media for a long period of time and, and the, the closeness of the games, the way it's played, everything's just a part of it. So it is amazing to be a part of that, you know, six weeks every year. But I still think, you know, most people would say if you can, you know, to win a grand final, because, I mean, at the end of the day, you spend, like I said, 11 months of the year with these same people um, and it's so much harder, um, you know, to get there and to win. Um, you know, Origin, it's very tough, but at the same time, it's, you know, three weeks of the year you're with the best, play- best, the best players, and it's it's 50-50 chance of winning, really, you know. So it's while it's the pinnacle of the of our game as far as you know, you know views and watches and and the money that's in, invested into it. Uh, you know, for me personally, and I think most players that would say would be you know, to win a grand final. Now I've been told by a few mates who are rugby league experts, and they say, "Oh, look, yeah, Darius went to full back when you go to full back and you do what the full backs do, but." These days, after Darius went to fullback, he was actually a serious playmaker as well back there. It changed the way that that position was played. Do you do you feel like you've had an influence like that? Yeah, I don't know about that. I think um, at the time, you know, there was a couple of guys around. Like Billy Slater was definitely one. Um, uh, Jaron Hayne at the time was up there. Uh, Brett Teammate. Stewart was another one at Manly. Uh, and there's always been a history of you know, quality fullbacks. You don't have to look at the game at the moment. And, Probably you'd say uh, three of the top ten players at the moment would be playing fullback. So, um, you know, fullback's a really important part of the game these days. It's you know, if you have a really really good one, you've probably got a pretty good side on your, on your hands, and um, usually they have a lot of impact into you know winning, winning or losing the game. And um, yeah, I was very proud of you know some of the things I was able to achieve playing fullback and um, played a few different positions, but fullback was definitely my best one. Yeah, it's definitely an extraordinary career. I'm still going through all these. Uh, you won nine uh, Origin series with with Queensland, twenty eight State of Origin games, seventeen tries, second most ever, as we said, twenty three tests. In fact, uh, you never lost a, a test for Australia. That's a fair record. Never knew what it was like to walk off in green and gold and go, "Gee, we could have done that better." 
Yeah, well, funny enough, I mean, I, I missed all the years or the games that they that the Australian team did lose. So whether it was not being selected in the team at all, uh, in the squad at all, or I was in the squad but uh, wasn't selected in those particular games. So um, I don't know if you call it luck, whatnot, but I'll um, yeah, it's pretty cool to finish your career and um, to say you've never lost a game. Let's move to the influences on your career. And there is a name which comes up and, and, and every AFL supporter can align themselves with, with the great coaches who not only coach well, they not only see the game well, they not only positionally move players around, they coach young men to be better people. And as hard as Wayne Bennett is, he seems to be one of those types of characters. And, and quite frankly, it looks like he's had a, a resounding effect uh, for the better on on the young man I'm talking to, Darius Boyd, your good self. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head. That's exactly what I think Wayne is about. He's making young boys that come into the organisation, you know, when they leave the organisation, they're better young men. And I think that's something that he you know, prides himself on and, um, yeah, that's the end of the day. In my opinion, that's the best that you get out of you know, individuals and teams is by um, showing you care and having a genuine interest in somebody. Um, then they're going to come you know, to work in any organisation and, and give it their all and give it their best. And I think that's what Wayne does. He cares about his players. Uh, he tells you the you know, honest truth, right? whether you like to hear it or not. You know where you stand. Um, and that's you know, why I think his teams are so successful. And then the football side of it, you know, he teaches basics, you know, uh, football terms, I guess, you know, be disciplined, you know, make your tackles, um, hold the ball. And they're all little things, but if you do the little things well in any game and in, in any sport, that's the same case. If you do the little things well, you're going to put yourself in a good position to win the game. And then on the back of that, and making sure that everyone's motivated and, and, and ready to play. I, I'm fascinated by Wayne Bennett. I've only ever met him, said hello to him, and he's nodded back and he knew who I was but didn't know much about me and I thought, gee, he's quite he's quite a, a scary character. Yeah, I think that's something that he likes. I think he likes to let other people do the talking and kind of just give a nod and give a little grin and let you kind of put your foot in it and say too much. Uh, I think he enjoys that sometimes. But, yeah, deep down and behind closed doors, which a lot of people don't see, is you know, the one-on-one conversations, the phone calls, you know, that's not just the players, that's partners and wives, girlfriends and you know, mothers and fathers and um, ex-players and, and former players and players that are thinking about retirement. You know, he makes all those phone calls and, and, and always happy to sound out people and, and help them with big decisions. So I think that's why he's so well, well respected, not only in his own team, but you know, through the game in itself. So you learnt through his actions, like he made those personal calls for good, bad, worse, all those intentions, whether it hurt the recipient or not, so you would have seen that and learned from that. That's how to be a man. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that um, I'm really grateful to have. You know, I had 13 years under Wayne um, and you know, learned a lot, um, off, you know, more importantly, off the field than on the field. And I think that's you know, a lot of those things around you know, just being respectful, doing the right thing, you know, have honest conversations, um, how to treat people, um, how to communicate, um, just little things. But I think those little things go a long, long way in life and, we have to think about social media these days and how everything's online. I think kind of society's forgetting how to just you know, pick up the phone or you know just have a, a face-to-face conversation. Darius, I worked out when, when I'd retired, having gone to a, a, one of these clubs, I went to Hawthorne at 15, and I'd worked out, as much as I loved my own parents, 
by the time I'd retired, I'd actually heard the words, the thoughts, the espousing virtues on, on being a good person, on, on life. I heard more from my coach than I did in my own parents from, from the age of 15 through to 31. Coaches have an enormous effect on the psyche, on the makeup of the psyche of young men and especially young professional men such as yourself. Oh, yeah, massive. I think this day and age you think about you know, coaches, you know, um, you know, personal trainers, you know, you could even say when you go get your hair cut at the barber or you know, wherever, you, you have these personal relationships and conversations with people um, and that's sometimes when people can open up. It's their, their hour to talk. Um, as I said, as coaches, you know, you have um, – you spend five days a week um, with these people, with your coaches – uh, and you know, you know, full days most of them. So you're spending a lot of time with these people, not as much as with your parents, obviously. Um, and that's where, you know, if you've got someone that you know, really cares and they understand, you know, people, people and relationships. And I suppose they are essentially like counselors or psychologists. And if you have a really, really good one, then um, you're going to be in a really good space. If I can bridge that gap back to, as you said, your childhood, you, you felt uh, like you lacked trust with people because for one or several reasons, they, they exited your life. So you lacked that con, uh, continuity from that relationship base. Did, did Wayne Bennett become a surrogate father to you? Oh, I wouldn't say that. He'd definitely become a sounding board and a mentor, uh, especially early in my career. I probably didn't open up and use him enough. I think, you know, he was always there and he was always asking about my, my mom, how I you know, reconnected with my mom, what's my grandmother up to, you know, what am I doing with my finances, have I bought a house yet, you know, all these important questions that, you know, people that care ask you and make sure that you're on the right track. Um, but I probably gave him, you know, one-word answers, yes, no, maybe. Uh, that was just the kind of guy and kid that I was. Um, it wasn't probably till my last five or six years when I, you know, I stepped away from the game and you know, got some help with my mental health and really understood you know, what life's all about and you know, relationships and connections and you know, people um, that I could really, I suppose, open up and have a proper conversation and, and, and really make sure I'm you know, listening to what Wayne says, whether it's in a coach's room, in a meeting, on a one-on-one or um, just having a chat and talking about life. I, I don't know if you've heard of one of our great coaches, a bloke who coached me by the name of Alan Jeans, but, but I'm starting to think, have they ever been in the same place at the one time? They sound remarkably alike. They could be the same person. Yeah, I think I, I just, I, I mean, I'm probably biased because I've had Wayne for so long, but I think, you know, the, one of the main qualities a coach needs to have is, is that, you know, relationship, you know, personal relationship and, and quality, um, being able to talk to him, be able to trust someone, um, you know, give, you know, give you some words of advice whether you like it or not, um, a bit of tough love, but just that you know, really bit of empathy and that care. I think that's the first and foremost. Everyone knows how to, in any sport, you know how to, you can get anyone with structures and game plans and statistics and anyone can do that. Um, you can look at stats to, uh, to get that stuff, but to have that personal relationship, that connection to motivate someone to you know, be at their best more often than not, I think you generally need someone that has those you know, specific skills. The one thing I've noticed when I have had the absolute uh, privilege of listening to a, a top-level uh, rugby league coach speak, it, it's a lot more spiritual in, in the motivating of the men before the game, during the game, than it seems to be for AFL. There's a lot more of that uh, uh, touching with the the players, uh, 
desires to get the best out of themselves. There's that real spiritual, and I'm not talking religion, but that, that real spiritual grab to harness that player's wants, needs and thoughts to get them to play at their best. Yeah, well, I suppose when you think about, you know, when we're all in, in rugby league, I suppose in any sport, when you think about rugby league, I guess, is that um, we all do the same training. We all, you know, do the same type of game plan and plays. You all get, there's a salary cap. You, most people get, you know, all teams get paid the same. So what's the difference on game day? It's how you turn up on the day. And that's also why you see, sometimes you see first, you know, lose to last or 15th that beats third, you know, because it's how you turn up on the day and, how you're motivated and what you're willing to, you know, put on the line and what kind of price you're willing to pay each and every week you play. So, and I think the, the good coaches and the good teams, you know, they push themselves to, you know, an eight out of 10, nine out of 10 more often than not, where you know, the teams that are outside the finals or near the end of the ladder, you know, they might be able to play three or four games at the highest level, but they can't consistently do it week in, week out. And I think you know, good coaches uh, are the ones that can get them their team up, you know, 75, 80% of the time. Have you ever been scared out on the ground? Yeah, when I was younger, um, definitely. Um, of? You know, always. Uh, I think when I was younger, I was scared of just the size of some of the guys I was playing against when I was, you know, 18, 19, um, playing against some big boys. Throw a few names. I think it was one. Oh, I, play, I marked up against Manu Vadavai one time uh, for the Warriors. He was a, a big winger. But I was the beast. Wing one time. Yeah, he was probably 115 kilos. And I was probably 90 kilos. So well, 90 is big, but yeah, but I, I remember well, seeing him play. Him. Yeah, not a, not giving away 25 kilos. I saw him play against mm. the Storm uh, several years ago, and he was only about six foot as well, wasn't he? Maybe six foot yeah, one, but could he? One, yeah. Oh, could he motor? He and was he a fright. Too, he was yeah. frightening. Mm. Oh, at his best, he was one of the best wingers in the game. You get him the ball ten meters out, and he, you wouldn't stop him. I think, I think he had some type of record for scoring at least ten tries a year for ten years in a row. So he's a quality winger. And um, yeah, early in my career, I remember being a bit scared, fearful of um, marking him, especially over in New Zealand. They got the drums banging and the, the, the rain's coming down a little bit too. So it's definitely out of my comfort zone. I think the rest of my career is more fear of failure for me personally. Um, just not wanting to let your teammates down, the fans, your family, you know, the club. Um, you know, fear of failure was something that drove me to try and be as successful as I could. I'm Dermot Brereton, and our guest tonight is former NRL champ and star Darius Boyd. And this is the conversations that could for Are You OK? Brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You OK? Welcome back to The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. When your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you OK? Welcome back to The Conversations That Could for Are You OK? I'm Dermot Brereton, and tonight my guest is Darius Boyd. Now, Darius has played 337 games of NRL at the absolute top level. What a champ. His career included two premierships and 28 games of state of origin for Queensland. So club culture, there's a lot of cases, Darius, where being in a club and the culture of young men, young young men and in your case, some talented, some brutal, some brilliant, club culture, does it help a young man in your position when you were a young fellow or does it hinder, does it stifle human that growth of the human soul? 
No, I think it's huge. And I think I'm you know, so you know, grateful and lucky that I come into a culture in Brisbane that was a really important, strong one. You know, when I went to the Broncos, you know, my first year, they you know won the competition. So it was obviously a great culture led by Wayne and, uh, and his coaching staff, but obviously they're led by players like, you know, Lockyer and Sivanasiva, Webke, some of the greats of the game in the Brisbane side. And, um, you know, culture is huge, I think, for especially young, young ones coming in to understand, you know, what the standards are not only on the field, but off the field as well and um, how you can contribute. Um, and then, you know, your professional career and what that looks like for you and how you become a professional because you definitely don't start as a professional when you're leaving school and you're going into these teams and organisations. But, um, and then you eventually, you I suppose you grow into a bit of a leader and, um, you know, the, one of the more experienced guys and then it's your turn to you know, show that to the young ones as, as you get older and they, they're coming through. It's true, isn't it? It is so important what you learn from your senior figures around you because you invariably pass that on in five or six years' time. You pass that on to the next boy who comes through the door. And if it's bad culture you learn, you let that fly. If that's the culture at that club, you let that fly and the new kid learns it off you. Yeah, I think it, I think it's really, really important. I think you know, the best teams have the best culture and it's probably it's easy to say, a bit of a throwaway line, I guess, but you know, it's you don't find many you know, good teams that have a, you know, a bad culture and they don't you know, do the good little things well. You know, whether that's you know, they might have fun away from the pitch, but you know, when it comes to being at, at the at the facility, you know, whether whatever time they get there, to you know, meetings and extra work and gyms and all the different things you need to you know, do when you're at the facility, um, I'm pretty sure you'd see most successful teams that um, you know, the way they handle themselves and it's run by the leaders. It's obviously run by the coach first and foremost, but then you need a core senior player group to be able to you know, implement what the coach is wanting. And I think you'd see most quality teams and most successful teams, you definitely have that down pat. Through your, your learnings and through the way you've spoken to the media and to people in recent times, recent years, you've become quite the advocate for for mental health and the need for better mental health spread around the community. And I do believe there's a light bulb moment that you happened upon. Are, are you comfortable talking us through that light bulb moment for you and, and how that arrived? Yeah, definitely. It's something that I'm you know, really proud of now, to be honest, you know, from the changes I've had, you know, all from seeking some help with my mental health and um, you know, basics of it was going through a tough time in Newcastle, uh, more on the field than, than off the field, I guess, or in my head anyway. Um, like I said before earlier in the interview that um, you know, rugby league was number one and family and friends were number two. Um, so we weren't winning winning games in Newcastle and I wasn't playing well myself. And um, that was, you know, my world just come basically crashing down. And I looked around my my house and my wife said, this is enough, I can't do this anymore. It's not a good you know, space for me to be in. Um, and I was, you know, I was okay with that. Um, but then when I really looked around, I guess, and realized that you know, my wife was gone, didn't have any friends in my corner. Um, no father figures. Uh, my mum was still in the Gold Coast somewhere and I hadn't spoken to her for eight years. Uh, my, my grandmother was uh, back at the Gold Coast and I was hope, trying to get her into an aged care facility. She was becoming you know, a bit more frail and brittle as the years went on. Um, and I really just didn't have a lot around me and realised that you know, this is a, a moment where I've kind of you know, forced myself or pushed myself into this. Um, it's my own doing. Uh, but I look back at old photos of me as a young kid playing footy or athletics or you know, with family and different things, and there was this big smile on my face. And I just wanted to, wanted to know where that kid went, where that happy little guy went, and how I could get that person back. And 
So I made the decision to you know, ring up my footy manager. I said I needed to do something. I wasn't quite sure what I needed to do, um, but he put me in touch with a nurse who I still keep in contact to this day. This was, this was seven years ago now. And um, yeah, I went to a mental health facility in, in Wentworthville. Uh, went there for three weeks and the best decision I ever made. So that's the crossroads for you. And and some people will say, well, Darius Boyd, he, he had the team manager he could speak to. And they, you know... Um, assisted him in seeking somebody else's support. Now that you've been through it, you could help other people. So if there's little Johnny or Susie or whoever out there who feels like, I have just as many things going wrong, where do I go? How do I turn? What's my first step to say, things aren't going right, how do I remedy this? Yeah, there's there's a lot of help out there. There's a lot of great organisations now. I'll just name only a few, but you know, Beyond Blue, uh, Lifeline, Headspace, especially for different age groups. Um, there's a lot of just great information on those websites too. Um, I think they're all free and confidential as well. So you know, sometimes when you know, people are a bit worried of you know, opening up or someone finding out uh, I'm getting some help, there's a bit of stigma around that. But um, if you're worried about that, they're all you know, free and confidential. And um, you know, otherwise, there's, you know, there's you see your GP, you can get a mental health care plan. They give you, I think you can get bulk build sessions with a, a counsellor, a psychologist, um, psychiatrist as well. So um, there's a couple of different options. There's some great organisations. There's Livin', there's one down the Gold Coast, and a lot of people have heard about Livin'. They do some you know, great work with merchandise and different and things um, and some you know, great workshops around this, that space as well. So a lot more people talking about mental health and you only have to you know, watch the recent Olympics to see you know, the highest of highest sports people you know, putting some putting their hand up and, and getting some time out from their sports to you know, work on their own you know, well-being and mental health. And uh, the more you see that you know, high-profile people doing that, I think the more we're going to have to talk about it and, and reduce the stigma for sure. And it's, it's not a quick fix. It's not going in and removing a spark plug and putting a, a fresh one in there and, and then the engine fires again, is it? You have to keep working at it. You have to keep visiting. You have to keep up the up the uh, the, the the work to get that mind right to keep sound. Yeah, I think that's the key. I think it's, it's about the change of your, you know your I suppose your lifestyle and, and your mindset. So you know, whether it's seeing a counsellor or a psychologist, uh, whether that's you know, some self care strategies around you know, gratitude and empathy and you know, using your support network through tough times. Um, there's different strategies and different things you can do, but it's something that you need to practice and work on and, and try just to implement it into your you know, daily, weekly routine so that you're really, really proactive with your mental health so that when adversity comes knocking, which it will, whether that's you know, loss of a loved one or you know, loss of job or you know, it's financial stress, uh, whatever may, may come your way, that you're more equipped to handle and, and deal with these situations than um, kind of just getting that rock bottom moment and going, now what, and I need to really work on it, being proactive with it. Like I said, the self-care strategies can you know, really, really be beneficial to hopefully make that more of a band-aid when these you know, life events do happen. It sounds like you were emotionally pretty well at rock bottom when you went there. And is is there a is there a, a session where it struck a chord with you? Where somewhere on the inner wall of your of your head, there's it's still pasted up there. One of the little learnings you had that you you live by. Is there anything we can take from a learning that you had that you still live by day by day? Yeah, well, the three main ones for me is probably gratitude, empathy, and your support network. You know, for me, I was playing for Australia. I'd won a grand final. I'd done a lot of things in my career, um, but I wasn't happy, and I was in a really, really bad space. And 
um, just to understand, to be grateful for you know things you do have in your life, whether that was my career or my wife or my grandmother was still alive at the time. Um, I mean, whatever it was, just you know, gratitude is really, really important. I think gratitude's something you know, tough times through COVID at the moment. I think it's always harder to you know find some gratitude, but you can definitely find gratitude in 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 any way you look. It's just might have to look a little harder in in tough situations. So gratitude's a big one. I found empathy or you know, random acts of kindness was a great tip as well. Um, you know, for me, I knew I was a good person inside, but in my dealings with the media, um, self-inflicted, um, I, I was probably perceived as a certain way in the, in the public. Um, so for me, you wanted to go out and go to give back to the community and do something for somebody else, um, whether that was you know, mental health you know, resilience workshops or whether that was um, you know, going down to my local footy club or former high school and, you know, Doing some footy clinics with the, with the kids, uh, taking some photos, signing some autographs, whatever that was. But it's a really good feeling inside to you know have a greater cause than yourself and know that you know was, I'm not just Darius Boyd, the rugby league player. I had other you know ways I could contribute to my community. So that was another tip. And the last one was my support network. So for me, you know, not growing up with a lot of family or then you know not being around for different reasons, I kind of had to actually did an art therapy session in the clinic and had to draw a family tree and my tree wasn't very good because I'm not an artist, but had to write on each or each branch or the support networks, part of your family and or your support people. Um, and it was just a good realisation. Didn't take me too many branches to realise I didn't have very many. Um, so for me, I had to grow my support network. And again, you know, that can be, like I said earlier, you can be a sporting coach, you can be a school teacher, uh, it can be an older friend, it can be, an uncle, Arnie, it can be mum and dad if you have them around, but they're just people you can trust and you can count on and they're going to be there for both the good times and the bad. So those three things, they're my three things that I always lean back on, go through a bit of adversity or a challenge. Uh, they're the three you know, strategies I use. I'm Dermot Brereton and our guest is Darius Boyd and this is The Conversations That Could, brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. When your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it but a conversation could ask, are you okay? And if our conversation has raised some issues for you, please call Lifeline anytime on 13 11 14. Welcome back to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? I'm Dermot Brereton and our guest is Darius Boyd and this is The Conversations That Could, brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. Darius, from a dad with a daughter to a dad with three daughters, that's going to keep you busy. Yeah, it does. It's, um, I'm very lucky, I suppose. Uh, I've got you know, three girls and something that I've realised that you know, puts things into perspective, what life's all about. And it's definitely you know, family and you support people and... And it's great seeing my little girls um, interact with each other and have siblings, which I didn't have. And uh, even just seeing you know, my oldest just, you know, started dancing and gymnastics and nippers and all these different things. So seeing a smile on their face you know, makes you, know, you realise what life's all about. There's something very noble about a parent who's had something happen to them in their childhood who then becomes a parent themselves and changes the format, just breaks the chain, the cycle, for the absolute betterment of their children. Do you, you feel you've done that? Yeah, I mean, I've learned a lot of that over the last six or seven years, so I'd like to you know, hopefully pass that on to my girls that um, they don't have to make some of the same mistakes I've made and um, they can understand, you know, we'll have a great support network in our family and 
um, you know, do things for other people and have a bit of empathy and, and even just, you know, practicing gratitude. I always ask my daughter on the way home, what are you grateful for today? And sometimes she says food for three things. I try to tell her it has to be at least one thing <laughs> can't be about food. Uh, so tell me something else. I tell you, chocolate might yeah, just, be in there, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, or some, some type of treat, a lollipop or something. Yeah. But Yeah, but just trying to, you know, put that in their brains at an early age so when they get older they – Without even knowing, they've kind of already understand and come across, you know, some good key strategies to be you know, well aware with your mental health. You don't get to where you are without the history you've had. Would you change? Would you have changed anything? No, I wouldn't. Um, I'm really um, grateful for obviously the career I had, but more importantly, some of the hard hardships I've, I've I suppose, gone through and have faced and. Um, it's led me to where I am now. I'm doing a lot of work in the mental health space, which you know, I'm really, really passionate about. And I think I'm very lucky to leave rugby league, something that I was very passionate about uh, for a long period of time and still am, to finding something else that I have a, a bit of a purpose and I'm passionate about as well. I think that's something that athletes find hard, you know, finishing sport is to find a purpose and a passion. And I'm uh, very lucky, albeit it's come from a bit of adversity, but um, that I've found something for myself to, you know, do something different that I'm really, really passionate about. Is that your main occupier of time now? Yeah, it's definitely a big part of it, something that I'm really passionate about, uh, helping others and giving back and doing something for somebody else and, um, you know, get that euphoric feeling when I'm giving back and doing something, uh, whether it's a mental health workshop or resilience workshop or going through schools for the Broncos and doing some work with them. Um, It's something that I really enjoy and um, I'm looking forward to doing more in the future. Absolutely. Uh, Before we let you go, mate, I'm a member at the Storm. Is anyone going to beat us? Yeah, it doesn't look that way, does it? It's, uh, <laughs> I think 19 in a row at something at the moment, is it? Uh, but yeah, it's all set up. Footy, but, it's all set up to know, lose the big one, uh, though. That's what I'm worried well, about. That's, that's the thing. I think it's something that you know. I think I heard Munster come out recently and said it wouldn't be wouldn't be a bad thing to lose one before the finals. Uh, Penrith won 19 in a row or 18 in a row last year or something and lost the grand final to the Storm. So. There's only probably three teams that can win it. Um, so it's, yeah, but Melbourne's definitely a front runner. Well, Darius, it's been a, a, an absolute charm talking to you. I've watched your career. I've marvelled at how good you were as a player. And I knew there was some troubles along the way. And to hear how well you're going now and for us to take a little bit of learnings out of it, mate, all power to you, all speed to you. Congratulations and uh, thanks for chatting to us. No worries. Really appreciate you having me on. Cheers. Asterius Boyd there, a former NRL champion. And if our conversation tonight has raised any issues for you and you'd like to get some support, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 or Men's Line Australia on 1300 78 99 78 24 7. The telephone lines are open and online support for men with emotional health and relationship concerns. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Conversations That Could for Are You OK? and you'd like to share it with a friend or access the resources in our show notes, subscribe to the podcast of The Conversation That Could wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Dermot Burden and we'll be back next week. And remember, when your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you OK? Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.